All right, welcome back to the podcast, Student Ministry for Parents. I am John Spencer with my co-host, Susan Eadler. This is a podcast. If you are wanting to grow or become a disciple of a team, this is the podcast for you. Welcome. This is episode two of our newest season where we've, I can't say that we've rebranded, but we have just taken some time off and come back with a little bit of a new format. What did we talk about last time, Susan? Do you remember? Resiliency. Being yeah. resilient. Is that a word? A coddling of the American mind That's by Jonathan That's basically Heidi. what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anti-fragility. Okay. Not resilient. Not resilient. Yeah, the difference. We talked about the difference We did talk that. about that, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, and that's okay. You are, I do remember. If you guys haven't picked up on this, Susan is supposed to be kind of like a listener of the podcast. I'm sure they've picked and up. And she's kind of she's kind of the voice <laughs> of the listener. You're welcome, everyone. Yeah. So John's the brains. I not the brains. I mm. just have an outline in front of me, and she doesn't. And I read that's the book ahead sometimes. of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Just so you know, Susan has not read the book this time around again, but that's by design. And we love it that way because she ends up asking great questions that lead to great conversations as we talk about things. Hopefully. But in our new format, we don't start with the book. We start with stories of youth ministry. We want to record and document our years in youth ministry and what has been helpful, what has been fun, what has been exciting. I hope you're going to go today. You want me to go today? I want to hear from you because I got to go last time. Do you get to share this time? Sure. Yeah, I will. I have thought about this a little bit. There's, of course, so many things we could talk about, but I will go back about 10, 12 years ago. Okay. Yeah. I moved to Minneapolis to start seminary and In that time, I served in a church uh, as a youth director and really didn't have much time with these students because we ended up transferring after about a year. So I was only with these students for about a year. Wasn't a big church, wasn't a big ministry, wasn't anything just outlandish, but I had a good time. It was a great time to do youth ministry while doing seminary. And, you know, we moved back to St. Louis and start doing seminary here and then just plugging away at the Kirk for years. And then I get a random text from the person who took over the ministry after I left, which was one of my volunteers. And she texts me and she said, Hey, do you remember so-and-so? I said, yeah, she was in sixth grade when I was there. She said, well, she's graduating this year and she didn't have your number and wanted me to pass along the information that the reason that she has stuck it out this long is because of the relationship you developed with the, the, the teens while you were there. And she pointed back, like looking back on her faith journey and her time in the youth group, she said it all started when I was there. Mm. And I, I'm like, I can remember one conversation I had with her. <laughs> like it, yeah. that, I feel guilty about that. But at the same time, I tell mm. that story and it like moves me deeply because mm. we don't know the level of impact we're, we're bringing mm-hmm. when we have a conversation or are just consistently present for a mm-hmm. amount of time. Um, and it could be incredibly impactful. I know that I was not the singular most impactful person for that student, Hmm. but I was a person who planted a seed that somebody else could come in behind me and do a lot of the, the big work. So it was a bit of encouragement to say like, keep at it. Like you never know what conversation or time with somebody could actually turn into. And how cool that she was only in sixth grade and that meant something to her that propelled her to stay you yeah know? like yeah. that's so cool yeah yeah man I, I that also has like 
great fear in me, you know. It could go the other direction. You're like, I walked away from the church because this one person said that one thing one time. But, you know, we are, that's the joy yeah. of being a believer. We are yeah. relying on the Spirit and yeah, not our own. Yeah, we're not that powerful. Yeah, 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 we're not that powerful. So the Lord can take a lot of things and turn them into great things. Um, but that's my story. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, um, and I hope uh, many of those come up over the years. I don't need to hear them, but I hope they happen. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, like we talked about last or earlier, we talked about our last episode of Jonathan Haidt. It was, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back. You don't need to, but I think we had a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan doesn't remember any of it, <laughs> but. I think that's so funny is I actually don't re-listen to the episodes because yeah. it feels personally embarrassing of, you know, what my voice sounds like or yeah. what I might say. I actually re-listened to that one because I thought it was really interesting, which is very disturbing that I don't remember it. But I did re-listen to it because it was helpful just to think through where we are in culture, where we're headed, and how we can help. Just obviously as parents and then in our our work because of we're in a really unique time in the age of teens. Yeah. Do you remember like one takeaway either from our conversation or anything you remember about the video that was related to the conversation or the article or the book? Well, I think I really struggled, which is funny that that was the word that I kept coming back to is that, Oh, the podcast was about resilient being resilient. And that's like the point they're making is like, no, of what does it look like to be fragile? Like raising people who like really struggle and are fragile and like, pushing against that. And I think about that, uh, and John and I've shared this so many times of where we are in parenting really has informed how we do youth ministry. But I think about that as my children are kind of on the tiptoeing into preteen years of like, it is hard not to want to protect our children. Mm. It is something I have to fight against and to help them not be these emotionally fragile people. And that is a struggle as a parent. And so I think I took away a lot personally of what does this look like for our students? But what does this look like as a mom? Mm. That (laughs) meant a lot to me of like, part of God's design is like, in our weakness, he is strong and like embracing our weakness and taking that to him. And, and what does that look like? So I do, I, it was really helpful for me as a mom. Yeah. Great. And I, you know, walked away from it and thinking there's, there's no, well, there are plenty of other great books we could have followed that one up with. There is some fascinating stuff that propelled from that book, but this episode we wanted to kind of tie in, how does that book lead into the one we're going to discuss today, which is iGen by Gene Twenge. I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but essentially that this book is how do we understand this generation? How is it different, not just in the sense of, you know, being anti-fragile or creating anti-fragile teenagers, but what is unique about this generation that is in the making, that are currently in the adolescent stage, um, why they're called iGen, um, and then, you know, what separates them from the other generations, but what makes them just like any other generation that has come along. So I thought it would be helpful. This is the book. Uh, I'll just read off the chapters, and this is so fascinating. And this, this is what I'll say very quickly is, if you want to understand this generation, read this book. 
Um, she's probably the leading expert um, on, uh, maybe on generations, um, but most particular this generation. Like she maybe, has. Maybe you're going to tell us, but when you say this generation, what what years are we scoping y- through? Yeah, so I would say it goes all the way down um, into the current sixth or seventh graders um, okay. through. Um, about 25. So all these maybe a little bit older than 25, 26, 27 year olds right now. Okay. Yeah. So all those people that is, you're technically in your adolescent stage from about 12, sixth grade to 25. Wow. Yeah. So okay. the current adolescent grouping are in this Gosh. generation and they are what they call iGen or okay. internet generation. So these are the chapters, and I'm just going to read them off, and this is so, they're just the chapter titles are fascinating. Chapter one, in no hurry, growing up slowly, then internet, online time, oh, and other media too. These are so funny. In person, no more, I'm with you, but only virtually. Hmm. Insecure, the new mental health crisis. Irreligious, losing my religion and spirituality. Insulated, but not intrinsic, more safety and less community. Income insecurity, working to earn, but not to shop. Indefinite sex, marriage, and children. Inclusive LGBT, gender, and race issues in the new age. Independent politics, understanding, and saving iGen. Wow. Yeah. We could talk about so many things in there. (laughs) Yeah. And I, instead of us talking about every one of those things, I would just recommend the book. She does a really great job of being both affirming, but also like challenging towards parents and the generation to say, hey, this is really what's great about what you're doing. But here's some things where you could probably grow and mm. try to attribute yourself to some of the older generations. Mm. I think every generation could hear that message. And she does a good job of balancing the two. Because um, sometimes you can confront this particular generation And any generation that's in the adolescent stage, like you just need to conform to the older generation, right? Mm -hmm. Do you remember hearing that growing up? Yes. And I always remember like, it was so much better when I was growing up. Yeah. I think it probably everyone feels that way. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Like that's probably a trend of like, well, it was easier and better when I was growing up. Why do you think people feel that way? And it's probably true in some some degree. (laughs) (laughs) How How far back though? Like... The first generation was the best generation. (laughs) Adam and Eve had the best (laughs) generation. It was so good. (laughs) I don't know. what Your question was, why do you think we feel that way? Yeah, why do we feel like our generation is better than the one coming up? (laughs) Well, gosh, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, but I feel like you can only... You can only know your own experience growing up, right? Like, I don't know what it's really like to grow up right now. Yeah. And I loved my experience growing up because there's some things about youth that you're shielded from, yeah. right? Like you don't have the full scope of like what it means to not be a child. And so yeah. you can only experience that. But also like, in, I mean, if I'm just going to go bare bones, I feel like it was simpler when we were growing up. And that's been true as we continue to go back every generation. It's like my parents growing up was really simple, you yeah. know? And so like there was less to stress about or to take in. Obviously when we bring in technology, that just is a whole nother, that's why, you know, we're in a different 
space talking about what it's like to grow up now because of technology. But like, I think simplicity sometimes is what marks why it feels better. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and a, a lot of it has to do with fear. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So thus I say, come to something I do understand and I can actually help you. Right. <laughs> right. I can't help I you if I don't, do this. I, I can't help you if I don't understand you. Right. Um, and every generation has felt that, you know, as they're mm-hmm. aging, like I feel less and less in touch with mm-hmm. this upcoming generation. Yeah. Fit into the mold that I know. Yeah. Um, but I, what I will say is what's unique about, and she gets into this, uh, what's unique about this particular generation is the gap between the iGen and any of the other generations that are alive right now is bigger than any other in the sense that they are experiencing life much more drastically different than any like millennial to Gen X to, to baby boomers. There is always a gap. There's always a fear factor, but it's not so different that you can't stay in touch with it. Mm, That's interesting. This one is what I would say is comparable to this generation is probably comparable to the generation that experienced the printing press. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just didn't think you were going to say that. How far back was (laughs) that? That was a really long time ago. That was a really long time ago. But Mm -hmm. why, why would that create such a, a change Mm -hmm. in culture? Mm -hmm. I mean, things became so much more available for everybody. Yeah. 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 Everybody had their hands on books and information, information, Mm -hmm. technology changed everything. Mm. So then what was simpler times when only the very learned and very rich (laughs) could read Mm. and be educated. Now everybody could. And that is kind of the era that we're in now is that now everybody has access to all of these things through the internet and everything's changing. And this generation has known, they haven't known life without the internet. And so they're the first generation to only know that. And so they're the leading experts in this new technology. Mm. For us old people, millennials and older, we've known a life before it. And so we would say life was probably a little simpler and a little easier and a little bit better without it. Mm. But for them, they're like, no, this sounds it's fine. This is fine. <laughs> You're okay. You're going to survive. And in some ways, that's true. And we need to kind of press forward, understanding that's how it's going to be from now on. I'm sure there were some generations back at the printing press that, no, get rid of books. Books don't need to <laughs> exist. They're damaging children these days. I say that as a joke, but it probably yeah, it happened. Yeah. I didn't well, do... like you said, fear. Yeah. I mean, fear for sure is scary when you feel like you can't control what you've known. Yeah. 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 So I'm just going to start listing off some, they're not stats, but some, some Mm -hmm. phrases that she brought up um, about this particular generation that is so drastically different um, and a little bit scary and a little bit like, (sighs) I'm so glad I'm not in my (laughs) Jenner. Um, But she, um, she lists off a couple things that one, there is a more safety in this generation, but less community. Flesh that out. What do you mean? Yeah. Physical so, safety or like? Yeah. So there are, this generation has, is safer physically than any other gen- generation that has ever existed. But they experience community on a way lower scale than any other generation. Why is that? Um, the, be, what's the safety thing? Is that just cause they're not hanging out with each other? Yes. And doing stupid things. Yeah. So oh. 
they're safe because they're in their rooms more. They're at home more. And when you exist more in your home, you don't exist other with other people quite as often. So when you're not out in the community, you're at less of a threat of being hit by a car. You're at less of a threat being beat up by a bully. You're less of a threat of getting in an argument or accidentally falling off a brick wall, you know? <laughs> yeah. It happens. Great examples. <laughs> <laughs> Just walking, on my brick, just walking on my brick wall. Uh, the 90s were so dangerous. <laughs> I mean, honestly, John has stories. But. Yeah. but with that, there is a universal experience of less community from this generation. Mm. Ugh, that kills me. That is the hardest thing for me to swallow. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think that leads to? Ugh, I can only imagine a skyrocketing of what we see of depression and anxiety. I mean, I'm assuming... We've traded physical safety for emotional. Yeah. I don't know what the opposite of safety would be in that example, but like you've got great physical safety, but emotionally you are a train wreck. Yeah. Because you're isolated and you're not having experiences. <laughs> like yeah. you don't yeah. have the things that like build you as you grow. Yeah. Yeah. So she says there is a de- decrease in homicide. Less teens are killing each other which is great. That's a great. Thankful for that. Yeah, that is one of the great <laughs> things. It's a good goal. <laughs> That's the, a great thing of this generation. One of the other things, there's a decrease of teen pregnancy. A great, also great. Great. A, a decrease in alcohol consumption, which reduces mm-hmm. drunk driving. Great, great things. But what that has turned into, decreased homicide has led to increase in suicide. Ugh. Yeah, so there's not any change in numbers of teen deaths. Mm. It's how they're dying. Mm. So I think, you know, you could hold that. You could hide some of those things. But I actually think that's more tragic Mm. because what that does is that takes somebody else physically having to hurt somebody Mm -hmm. to saying, I'm going to, you know, live in my own head long enough to where I work against myself but a lot of the suicides are coming through technological bullying through social media or through texting or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so harming somebody doesn't actually decrease. It's the way that teens are harming each other has changed. Mm, so sad. And so then the person who ends up harming themselves looks at fault mm-hmm. and that the other person is harder to blame and they don't have to confront the guilt that mm. comes with actually harming somebody. When you were saying that, I was thinking that's so scary because so much of it is hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just not as much oversight or another friend, you know, like there's some things I, I'm probably saying this wrong, but there are sometimes um, in ways that peer pressure is a good thing. And, and I probably shouldn't use the word peer pressure, but like if you're bullying someone at school there are teachers, there are administration, yeah. there are other people that may be like, hey, knock it off. You know, like the communal aspect of just learning relationships is so important. And when it is hidden in, in a vacuum, yeah, that is so sad that that's the outcome of, you yeah. know, like we're still seeing the same result. It's yeah. just sadder. <laughs> yeah. So it, it leads to the question of can we get to decrease of homicide, decrease of drunk driving, decrease of teen pregnancy without taking on the, these other things that are almost worse. 
yeah. because we could highlight it. And that's, you know, we feel as if my child is physically safer, then we are doing better, a better job at parenting. Right. That's it. That's a very attainable goal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Just put them in a Check. bubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that ties back into the last episode, you yes. know, coddling of the American mind, yes. all that type of stuff. And so she's just confirming like with statistics, like how this is true and what mm. is actually happening. And it's tragic, and I hate hearing that type of stuff. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, so we, we'll, we'll leave that there, but I'll kind of move on into, I'll, I'll read a quote from her, into one, one thing she calls life history theory. I don't know if she came up with this, or is this is, might be a universal thing, but how the, how the generation became what it is. And so I'll read this, and then we can talk about it. So this is adolescence, once the beginning of adulthood, now seems to be an extension of childhood. It's not that teens are more virtuous or lazier. They could simply be taking longer to grow up. Looking at these trends through the lens of life history theory might be useful. According to this model, whether development is slow with teens taking longer to get to adulthood or fast, getting to adulthood sooner depends on cultural context. A slow life strategy is more common in times and places where families have fewer children and spend more time cultivating each child's growth and development. This is a good description of our current culture in the U.S. When the average family has two children, kids can start playing organized sports as preschoolers and preparing for college can begin as early as elementary school. This isn't a class phenomenon. I found in my analysis that the trend of growing up more slowly doesn't discriminate between teens from less advantaged backgrounds and those from wealthier families. So one of the other things she talks about is this particular generation is growing so slowly in their experiences. They are experiencing childhood for a much longer state. Okay, I got a little confused in the quote when she was talking about sports. Like, is it, explain that. Like, they're getting exposed to it earlier. Yeah, so they have, let me let me back up. Sorry. No, yeah, <laughs> no, you're good. Um, there was a lot there. Um, so what, she, what she's getting at is that this generation has um, childhood extended. So when they are actually supposed to be becoming emerging adults, that's another way to describe adolescence is they are emerging into adulthood. They're actually just extending their childhood experience. Gotcha. So they're, they have an adolescent brain, but are having childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. So there's a disconnect to how their brain is developing, but what they're actually experiencing in life. So she calls that kind of like, what does she call that? Slow life strategy. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah, we're slowing things down for their experience in life. But yet we can't slow down their brain getting bigger mm-hmm. and more connected. Mm-hmm. So what that ends up, what ends up happening is all sorts of things like what we just talked about and a few other things. So the whole thing about the, the sports is we're able to slow childhood down because there are less children being born and there's more efficiency in our culture because of technology. Gotcha. So the value of having a bigger family has decreased. People don't want as many kids because they're expensive and they're difficult. 
And technology has allowed us to be really efficient with our time. And so we have an excess amount of time and focus on our kids that we can get them involved in more things and get them to go further in things than when we used to. Mm. When before technology, or if you grew up in a big family, you were just kind of like, you need to figure, look. you got to figure this out <laughs> yeah. on your own because mom and dad need to bring home a paycheck. <laughs> right. And at the same time, like, I, can't, to deal with. I can't watch all of you at the same time. So yeah. you got to figure it out. That's not a problem anymore. Huh, that is so interesting. Yeah. So what? So the, are you saying it's almost like it's been a detriment because obviously technology, but parents almost have too much attention yes. on their small family. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, mom and dad can hyper focus on son and daughter. Not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is great for a safety aspect. They are safer. Right. And hopefully relationally, that's great. Like, yeah. right. Yeah. But the adolescent brain needs to rebel. They need to figure out how am I going to live on my own? And how do we do that? How does our brain tell us to do that? Rebel against what our parents are telling us to do. Not in like a, uh, a harsh way, but saying, asking questions. Mm. Why do mom and dad make that decision? Why do the, these adults make that decision? I'm going to see what it's like not to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And in that process through failure, they're figuring out how do I become an adult? You know, a teenager's not actually thinking in those terms. Sure. But that's what's going on in the brain. And that period of time is not happening anymore. They are so weird. Yeah, they are staying essentially like 10 years old or 11 or 12 years old for like three or four (laughs) years. So can I ask a question? Yeah. So you're saying, so that's the result of what's happening now. But you're saying with your brain, your brain is wanting to do that when you're... You can't slow 14. the you can't slow the brain down. Well, you can, but like at some point when you hit puberty, um, something is going to change in your body, mm-hmm. and you can't resist it. Um, and so you can't change those neurons um, from firing in a different mm-hmm. way. Um, you can redirect them, mm-hmm. um, but you can't stop that. You can stop your child from going outside and experiencing natural consequences by keeping them in the gotcha. room, or what she gets into. They, the teenagers love not being challenged and love <laughs> staying in a childlike state for longer. They love mom's tender care. They sure, love mom and dad doesn't. driving them wherever they want. So is that why so many people didn't want their yes. driver's license? Gets, that drives me crazy. Absolutely, That yeah. is so interesting. So she pins it down on two things, why students don't want driver's license till much later in life. They have a huge fear of failure because they're not practicing failure. Oh my gosh, this is so interesting. And mom and dad have created such a good situation at home. Yeah, why are you getting rid of that? Why would I <laughs> why would I take that responsibility? Right. I'm not I don't need to escape from home because home is really safe. Again, a great thing. You want a safe home. Yeah, this is really hard. I see why it's tricky because it's both. It's yes. like we're not going to sit here and be like, "Well, that stinks. You have a great house." Like yeah. Yeah. Of course, we all want our kids to want to be home. Yeah. And we want them to leave. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love you, Both. but yes, you need to. Go leave. have fun. Yeah. Go do something interesting. Go yeah. get a job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was out of the house. All the time. Immediately. I, the day I turned 16, I, I found a ride to the DMV. <laughs> yeah. 
I was like, mom, daddy, not taking me. I'll figure it out. Like that is, so, that is actually really helpful to me, John, because I remember thinking for a while it was a regional thing. Cause I'm not from St. Louis and moving to St. Louis. I was like, what's up with these kids? Like they don't, they don't drive. Yeah. But this, this is making yeah. so much sense. It's so me. fascinating, uh, man. And that's a little bit like, I don't think we can change that. Mm. We just need to come to the fact that this is the new reality. I'm not ready to accept that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's, that's the, that's the push, you know, how much of this generation do we accept and say, this is the way adolescence is going to just be, this is going to be the new experience of going through adolescence. They're going to be more of a child for a little bit longer and they are not going to acquire as many life experiences while they're in the adolescent stage. Some ways that's great. We don't want our kids out drunk driving. We don't want them having sex with, you know, at parties. We don't want them to do those things. But those things also cause them to emotionally reach adulthood. You know, it's it's all about pacing and timing and directing them in the right way. At the end of the day, a child is going to make those decisions. So if if those things are good, if, if we're holding, we're like, okay, we don't want our kids doing that and they're not doing that, what happens when we delay life experiences for a long period of time? And this was something she doesn't go too far into, but I think I have my own thinking about this is, you know, it actually, when we delay life experiences for teenagers, we, they have to hit a stage of life where they have to either accelerate into adulthood at a faster pace than they should have. So they're going to reach 21, 22, 23, and then realize, oh, I have to be an adult. <laughs> Sounds scary. And then I have to have all the experiences I was supposed to have when I was 16, oh, no. 17, 18 years old and cram that in all into like one year. Mm. She does talk about this. And so like she says, you know, a lot of kids are delaying drinking, which is great. That's a great thing to have. But when they get to college, they have not built up. They're like, now I need to. Not just drink, I need to binge like drink. Party hard. Yeah. I need to party hard. And so that's where the statistics are being thrown. And mm -hmm. so something they were supposed to be doing under their parents' roof, well, not supposed to. Something that, that often happens. That often happened yeah. under the parents' roof, you know, out of fear of being caught, that type of stuff, or being caught and being reprimanded and being directed in those moments. Mm -hmm. They're let out of the house and then they're trying to make their decisions. And like, I don't have to report to anybody. I can go all in with this all of oh, a yeah, sudden that's really scary yeah and so that's when you know you're getting into more dangerous things mm -hmm. we're just delaying what was supposed to happen under the roof and saying like you just make that decision on your own mm. and i'm not going to take care of you Oof. that is detrimental yeah, as well and so again there's a there's so much that she gets into but i want to make sure we answer the the two questions with talking about this how does this change how we do youth ministry and mm -hmm. how can we talk about how does this assist parents and how they should come and approach and disciple their team. I just threw a bunch of stuff at you. I, I didn't exactly <laughs> summarize all the book. There's a lot not there. But everything we talked about, how does this change how we do youth ministry? 
Well, when you were talking, I think it's so hard to not, well, this is more my personality, but I tend to run to hopelessness first. I'm like, oh, this is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and I just kept thinking of that verse in Esther that's like, you know, you were born for such a time as this. Now that's specific to the book of Esther, but that is true of us where God has placed us in this time in history, right? Yeah. And so I think it personally, it just makes me want to pray of like, God, how do we enter in? Like this is, this is what it means to live right now. Right. Like he's given us technology and like it, it feels like a problem I can't solve. Right. And so I'm like, okay, for our students, I think it looks like me praying for them, but also like, how do we challenge them well? Like, how do we push them if this is kind of where they live all the time? How can we be a force outside of family so there's not, the stakes aren't quite as high as like mom and dad doing it, but like, what does it look like to challenge them in a way um, that feels like a challenge, but also feels good, you know, like coming yeah. alongside with relationship and courage you know, of like, I'm going to, step out and challenge you, but that is still under the roof of love and, and trying to understand. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I think you're, you're spot on. It's gotta be a balance. It's gotta be not a hope of retreating back into the way things were. I think the, the best thing that we could do is just saying, this is, things are just changing on how, Students grow up and adolescence happens. And I don't think technology is really going anywhere. No. (laughs) So like in our particular role, I think it's hard for us because we've been doing youth ministry long enough where there was, we've done two generations essentially. Yeah. We've, we've crossed over from millennial generation youth ministry into iGen Mm -hmm. generation ministry. And they are, they are drastically different. Very different. Um, There is a big gap there. So for me, you know, as I find myself clinging to my own generation, which is what we tend to do, I need to be thinking how can, not how I can become more like iGen, is how can I get more iGeners to do ministry and to be faithful to Jesus and to lead the next generation? I need in some ways to get out of the way, but also not neglect the fact that older wisdom, not necessarily for me, but like, the, the church is meant to be intergenerational right. is that we that's shouldn't, the pattern. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't isolate generations, but we should be seeking out older generations to pour into us. And so now that I'm realizing not just now, but like <laughs> now that I acknowledge the fact that I am a separate generation from the kids that I minister to, I need to not only be ministering to these kids, but also to the leaders Mm -hmm. that are of that generation that can speak way greater volumes into the students coming through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Oh, absolutely. So that is how I'm starting to rethink and re reshape how I do youth ministry. It's a little bit freeing and be like, okay, it's not, it's not just me, like where right. there's this disconnect. <laughs> right. It's it's so much more. Yeah, it's it's so much more on just allowing the next generation to take over and being yeah. prepared for that and having to let go at, at certain times. Yeah. I think that that is healthy and good 
And um, knowing that it'll look different. Yeah, I yeah. Think that's one thing I'm thinking about, even just in church. Like, how do we minister, not just to teenagers, but I'm thinking about that as with young moms in our church of like, even someone 30 really grew up differently than me because that's a, that's a gap now. Yeah. And like, how do we listen and think about like, I need to learn from you of like, what, what does that, what works for you? Yeah. 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 Um, so as I, I think about, um, parenting, um, this generation, it is, it's tough. It's, it's not an easy thing to do, but I think I will die on this hill of, and I'll probably come back here with every episode, but I think we need to, we need to challenge ourselves as parents to let our teens experience more of life outside of their technology. Yes. I'm not saying I'm growing more lenient on this. I'm not saying get rid of your phone. I'm not saying disregard all technology, but all of the statistics say that in-person experience is way better than virtual. For sure. Yeah. So if, if I were to challenge parents, it's, it's that challenge of let your child fail, push them outside as much as you can, push them into physical relationship as much as you can, either with you their siblings or just friends don't settle for virtual gaming as their means of community. Right. It's a great and fun way to connect, but don't let it be the majority of ways that they connect. And all I may stand out and I get a lot of pushback on this, but don't always know where your kid is and well, know where they're going. (laughs) But like (laughs) that's that, that see, don't, don't be so concerned. Don't feel like you need to follow mm. them on their phone. Yeah. They, you, you don't need to know like, well, they're this house, then that house, they're in the car right now. That increases anxiety for mm-hmm. both entities, both the parent and the child. Let them explore and, you know, within healthy boundaries, mm-hmm. find failure. Because right. in those moments of failure, they're going to find moments of growth. And in those moments of failure, the gospel is all the more rich. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not allowing them to fail, when can you speak the gospel to your kid? Right. So if they're, if they're so safe, the gospel mm-hmm. doesn't seem desirable. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying, you know, here's a beer, here's a <laughs> car keys, go have some fun. <laughs> it's, you know, be okay. Appropriate. Failure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Susan. She always knows what I mean. <laughs> so, I, again, I highly recommend Read iGen by Jean Twenge. Dive deeper into it. She gets way more into it. And I'm sure I botched some of the things. You did that not. She was and it makes trying. so. I mean, what sense. do you know? You didn't read it. John! <laughs> <laughs> But as we're, we're wrapping up, I would just, you know, really send us your questions, send us your thoughts of anything you might have. We would love to respond and keep the conversation going because Susan and I, we're still trying to figure this out. Yeah, I feel like I'm like, I could do like 12 more episodes on this because it really is, it's so interesting leading and then kind of, I mean, I obviously can't put myself in their position, but I'm like, what is it like to grow up like that? And 
how do we, you know, it's, it's this big kind of not mess, but it feels yeah. like this big ball yarn trying to undo and figure out like, yeah, how do we lead? How do we let them fail? How do we push them, but yeah. not push them away? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Absolutely. So next episode, next month, we will talk about age of opportunity by Paul David Tripp. It is a biblical guide to parenting teens. Wow. Yeah. So I am. I do love Paul Tripp. Yeah, he is uh, a very clear communicator. He is sometimes really hard-lined on certain yes, things. Yes, he is. So we may be pushing back on some things because, you know, when you spend your life with teenagers, you, you tend to be a little bit more lenient <laughs> than somebody who's on the outside looking <laughs> yeah. in. I don't know. Does Paul have teen kids? I don't really know. I mean, he used to, but I don't know what. <laughs> <I> don't. <laughs> he used to. I don't uh, know how old his kids are. But He has yeah. been through the teen years, but yes. I don't know what decade Yeah, so that he's going to, regardless, I know he's going to have great insight, yeah. but there may be some pushback as. Yeah, he does not back down about things. Yeah, he does not. He is mm. pretty hard-lined, which I appreciate about that. Yes. Um, he, it's very clear. Yes. So. Join us on the next episode of Student Ministry for Parents. This has been a joy to be with y'all. And hey, thank I, you. I'm just going to say that I'm going to put it out. Maybe I'll read the book before next Yeah, time. maybe. Maybe. It's I'm sitting not, here on the desk. So. I am not positive, yeah. but maybe. Yeah. I think that would ruin the episode if you actually read something. Jo- <laughs> Guess we'll see. I yeah. probably won't read it. I, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Susan is, is so everybody knows she's much smarter than I am. So that is uh, not true, and I hate to. Uh, read. These are just all my insecurities <laughs> coming out when I you know, say those things. So thank you guys for listening <laughs> to Student Ministry Parents. We will see you next time. You are the best. <laughs>